Feeling better? Looking better? Making life better? It's Life Tips. We'll explore the latest innovations, introduce you to the latest products, and bring you the tips from experts and environmental pioneers to help you lead a better life. Life Tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, wiser. Here are your hosts. Welcome back to the Life Tips Show, everyone. I'm here with Paul. Paul, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me on. Picking up where we left off last, you're, of course, uh, the, uh, the author of the book we're talking about today, Parenting with a Story. Um, and that, of course, is uh, a spinoff, perhaps, or at least a top of mind when you wrote your other book, Leading with Story. What's the, what's the concept behind parenting with a story? Yeah, so, I mean, the, the idea did come to me as I was working on the, the first book, Lead with a Story. And it, in fact, um, I, I can't even take credit for myself. There are a number of people that I was interviewing for the first book about leadership said to me as we were in the interviews and as I was crafting some of these stories, gosh, you know, the, these stories could actually help me at home as well. It slowly dawned on me the similarity between leading a group of people at work and raising a family at home. You know, in both cases, the leader at work and the parent at home are in some ways in charge of the, the other people and they're responsible for their ultimate success <clears throat> and their job is to, to coach and train and, and lead them in as the boss. You know, so with all these similarities, it occurred to me that, that a similar book to help parents instill wisdom and, and uh, character in their kids uh, might be in order, and that's exactly what it's for. The format of the book is quite interesting. You have a series of short stories here. Um, can you tell us your thinking behind, uh, you know, wanting to, if you will, lead with short stories when it comes to parenting? Why, why did that hit, hit home with you in a great way to, to, uh, to voice your message? Right. Well, I, I think what most parents do, myself included, when you find your kid in need of some advice is we, we dole out platitudes or or simply tell them what to do you know uh, look both ways before you cross the street be kind to strangers you know whatever and what what I found and I think a number of other parents find is that uh, that's not the most effective way to teach your kids is just telling them what to do or telling them what to think or giving them these short little platitudes that can be interpreted all kinds of different ways the best way we found the hard way I guess is that it's sharing stories either about yourself or, or, or somebody else when they were facing a similar challenge that your kid is facing. And through the story, you can show how the person involved at that point either succeeded or failed, either, either got themselves out of this jam or took advantage of the opportunity in an appropriate way or not. Maybe it's a failure story and that the kids will learn better from the story because they can kind of put themselves into it and say, oh, yeah, if I'm ever in that situation, or gosh, I guess I am now, I'm going to try that, or gosh, I will never do that, because clearly that didn't work for the person in the story, or they'll come up with their own solution, but it's just that stories tend to be a more effective way to teach, especially the messy, um, unclear, ambiguous situations that you find yourself in life that involve some kind of a, a character trait. Making decisions is tricky stuff, and that's often what we're faced with throughout our journey in life. What is it about stories that helps us make decisions? Yeah, I, I think it's that mostly that you can see yourself in the story. And, uh, and, and what I actually advise people to do is not just use the story to teach, but to have a discussion with the kids after you, you've told the story. So I, ideally, you would find yourself in, in your kid in need of some wisdom, 
share a story about yourself or somebody else when they faced that situation and they either came out of it well or, or not and then have a discussion with them. And in fact, what I, I did for the book is I put together a discussion guide. So there's 101 stories in the book and I've got 101 separate sets of questions, four or five questions each for each of the stories in the book. So after you share a story with your kid, you have a discussion with them about it. And the questions might be like, so what did you think about what the main character did in that story? Would you do that or would you not? And why or why not? Have you ever done something like that yourself in the past? Did it work out or did it not? And what do you think you'll do the next time? And why would you do that the next time? And you end up learning so much more about your kids from these discussions, and they end up learning so much from the discussion and not just from the story. So the story is an maybe in some ways just uh, an on-ramp to having a meaningful discussion with your kid as opposed to when you tell them what to do, you're not inviting a discussion. You're just telling them, you know, uh, be kind to strangers. And, and that's it. That's my advice. Go, go forth and do that, kid, <laughs> and you're done with the parenting. But the story opens up a conversation. Before you tell or read a story to us, why do some stories connect better than others? Yeah, you know, the, the ones that connect, I think, really well are, um, are ones that are, have some emotional component to them uh, because your kid can kind of feel, uh, is feeling some way right now, and that's why you recognize they have a need to learn something, and so they can connect with the emotion in it. But the th- things that make them more memorable and more effective are if there's a surprise in the story somewhere that tends to help the lesson be remembered for longer. Um, but the most important thing, and I think I've said it already, is, is the story being relatable to your kid. If your kid can um, relate to the hero in the story, whether that's you or their, their, uh, their, their other parent or a sibling or an aunt or an uncle, um, or even if it's a complete stranger, but that stranger is, oh, that's a kid my age. And now that person may be 45 years old now, but when they were seven years old, this happened to them, and I'm seven right now, and I'm a girl, and I'm seven, and I'm facing this situation. So... Um, that person is facing the same situation that I am. And that's what really makes a story uh, interesting to a kid, is somebody else like me facing the challenge I'm facing. Could you tell us a a story and then maybe tell us a little bit about the questions you would ask your your child after the story? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, one of my favorite examples is actually about uh, myself and my father uh, and something that happened when I was 17 years old. He had gotten me a job at a... Uh, a manufacturing company where he was working. And, and, of course, at the age of 17, my job was you know, the lowest one on the totem pole there, so I was literally a file clerk in the office. But I was super excited when I found out that one day a year your boss had to take you out for a lunch, for a free lunch, and that was on what we called at the time Secretary's Day. And uh, on that day, of course, all the bosses took all their administrators out, and I was one of those administrators. And my uh, father was one of the bosses there, and he, of course, was taking his secretary out to lunch that day. And we all went to the same restaurant. Everybody in the company picked the same restaurant to go to, and, and we're sitting there at a big table, and I, I'm, I'm there at the table with my father and my boss, and he's there with his administrator. And the, the restaurant had decided to serve all these people the, the quickest. They would just have two items on the menu. One was a club sandwich, and one was a quiche Lorraine. And, you know, Byron, this is back, you may remember this, back in the mid-'80s when that book uh, Real Men Don't Eat Quiche had just come out. Yeah, remember, of course. Sure. Yeah so, yeah, so that was that tongue-in-cheek look at the feminization of the American male. And, of course, even if you didn't read the book, even if you didn't read the book, you knew what it was about. And, and you knew that if you were a, a real man, quote-unquote, you, you wouldn't want to eat quiche. So I hadn't read the book, and neither had probably most of the other men at the table, but none of us would order the quiche for that reason. 
and we all ordered the club sandwich. Well, he got around to my dad, and it was his, his turn to order, and he said to the waitress, well, you know, I'll tell you what, I, I've never had quiche before, so how about you bring me a half a quiche and a half a club sandwich? And, of course, the abuse immediately set in. So the other grown men at the table just started berating my father and, and making fun of him and belittling him. And, and since this is probably a family-friendly program, I, I won't tell you exactly what they said, but you can imagine they were challenging his masculinity in language that I had really never even heard before at that point. And so, of course, I'm just feeling awful. I'm sinking down into my chair, and I'm just terribly embarrassed. This is going on, and my father's getting belittled like this. And, and of course, I'm mostly thinking about me because I'm 17 and self-centered and about my own situation here. And Well, anyway, after four or five minutes, he finally had had, had enough of this abuse, and he called the waitress back over, and he said, I'm sorry, I, I've got to change my order. Um, I ordered the half a quiche and the half a club sandwich. I need you to take back that half a club sandwich, and I need you to bring me the whole quiche. I mean, it was silent at that table. and I mean, the, the men's jaws just dropped. You know, here they thought they had, had beaten him into submission with their verbal abuse. And in fact, he, he, he ate that whole quiche right there at that table. And I have no idea to this day if he likes quiche. But he ate that whole quiche that day with a smile on his face. And it just, my, my respect for my father has never been higher than at that moment. I mean, he taught me a lesson about what it means to stand up to peer pressure and basically about what it really means to be a man. It doesn't mean doing what everybody else tells you you should do. It means doing whatever you want to do and, quite frankly, not giving a darn what everybody else thinks. And he could not have taught me that lesson you know, by telling me uh, to stand up to peer pressure. But doing what he did did teach me that lesson. And so now, to answer the second part of your question, how do you use this story? So I have two kids of my own, two boys, in fact, at 15 and 10. And when they come home from school with a problem like, gosh, the kids are making fun of me because I'm not wearing my pants hanging down off my waist like is so popular these days with my underwear showing, you know, I can tell them that story. And what it teaches them is the lesson that when, when people are teasing you about something, instead of caving in, do more of what they're teasing you about, not less. So my kid would take away from that, okay, I'm, now I'm going to just go to school tomorrow with my pants pulled up even higher. And they're going to go, wait, no, we said pull them down lower. And then he pulls them up higher. Now he's walking around like Urkel, right, with his pants up right under his chest. I mean, that is the way to use a story to teach the kid a lesson uh, without telling them exactly what to do. Do you worry that parents may become too strategic with their storytelling and not let stories value rest upon the story itself? For example, you know, do we want our kids to be, you know, more conservative with their approach to life and less risky? You know, well, wow, maybe we shouldn't tell them the quiche story. You know, maybe we should tell them a story that aligns with what we want them to do. Yeah, well, of, of course you should. So that's why there's a hundred different stories in the book for you to pick from, the ones that, that are teaching the lesson that you personally want your kid to have. In fact, each, each chapter, you know, so there's a chapter on ambition and one on open-mindedness and creativity and courage and integrity. And so you pick the chapter that, you know, this is the, the, the character trait I want my kid to have. And there's four or five very different stories with very different lessons in them. And you can pick the ones that most suit what you want to teach your kid. But, but more importantly, what, no matter which story you tell them, having the conversation afterwards helps your, your kid come to, that, come to a conclusion themselves. And you could tell that, that very same quiche story, and then the first question you're going to ask your kid is, so what do you think about what the, uh, you know, the guy did in the story? And your kid may say, well, I would have just um, eaten the club sandwich. 
Well, why? Well, because my friendships are more important to me than um, uh, causing a fight or an argument or trying to stand out or look good or something. Well, then you've learned something about your kid, and your kid has you know, told you, this is what I would do in this situation, and, and maybe you think, oh, I think that's a great idea. I, if, if, if your friendship with those people is more important to you, then by all means, just eat the club sandwich and, and move on. So you can get to the opposite conclusion. You just have to do it in the discussion, not in the storytelling. What age do stories and discussions afterwards seem to make the most sense when it comes to children? <laughs> you know, I, I thought when I started writing the book that it was going to be somewhere between 5 and 15. Um, and I would still say that's probably the, the, the prime range. But I ended up interviewing people um, between the ages of 14 and 93, and the stories that I heard were about things that happened to them between the ages of 3 and 80. And, uh, <laughs> and one of the stories that my father told me when I was 45 and he was 80 uh, is one of the most influential stories that I've ever heard in my life that completely changed the direction of my life and my career. So, you know, there's an 80-year-old man telling a story to a 40, his 45-year-old son and it being incredibly important. So now I've, I've decided that there, there really is no, no age range. As long as your kid can listen and understand your language, uh, I think they're never too old uh, or too young to learn from a story. Why do we remember stories? What's triggered in, the, in our brains that makes us remember things more crisply and clearly when it's told in the format of a story? Yeah, you know, I, I've, I've looked into that, and, and not being a, uh, a neuropsychologist, I, I, I couldn't tell you the, the, the biological reasons why, but what I can tell you is that for whatever reason, the human brain is wired to understand, listen to, and respond to stories. In, in fact, um, you can kind of prove that to yourself at any given moment. If, if I were to, you know, and when I teach uh, courses on storytelling for leaders to executives, I, I usually give them five or six reasons why storytelling is effective. And then when I'm done with the six things, the, the seventh thing I said, and it makes things more memorable, and you can prove that to yourself right now because all of you sitting here right now know that by this time tomorrow, none of you will remember this list of six things right, that I just gave you. Um, and just imagine I just given you, Byron, a list of six things. The truth is by tomorrow, you'd forget at least half of them. But this time tomorrow, you will not have forgotten the story of my dad eating the quiche, right? And, and next week and next month and maybe even a year from now, you would probably be able to tell the story about my dad eating the quiche and get most of the facts right. But if I were to give you a list of six random things right now, there's no way you would remember them a year from now. And so why, why it works that way, I don't know. But I'm absolutely certain that it does, and you are too, and, and that's the way to prove it to yourself. How are children using stories themselves as they discuss things with their friends and build their own signature in life and status and, and uh, whatnot? Yeah, so um, do you have kids yourself? I do. Okay, so, so you know that uh, your kids come home at the end of the day from school. You know, some of the first words out of their mouth you know, is, oh, Johnny did this today, and the teacher said this today, and, and this happened today, and then we did this, and then we did that. And essentially what they're doing is telling you stories. They're not, in, they're not doing what they would do if they were coming home from a college lecture on philosophy, where they would come home and engage you in this deep intellectual debate about the meaning of life. They're coming home and they're telling you stories about what happened in their day. Uh, and so that's how kids, and I think to a large extent adults, process what's happened to them and what they've learned from it. And in fact, I think that's what happens when we go to sleep, right? Your, your dreams are stories. You, you don't 
generally, and I don't know, maybe you do, I don't, dream about mathematical equations or logic problems. Right? You dream about stories. You dream in a story, and that's your brain processing what happened to you and making meaning out of it and storing it in long-term memory. So uh, I, I think kids just do it verbally out loud a lot more than adults do. You know, we, we often do it in our, in our sleep. It's becoming clear what's wrong with me. My my father was a professor of philosophy, so when <laughs> when I would come home, he'd say, "It asked me how my day was." It would be anything other than what happened on the playground and someone getting yeah. hurt, or it would be what I learned today, or what was interesting to me today, or so f- food for thought. <clears throat> yeah, I wanted to ask you about actual storytelling uh, ability. In in the stories the way we know them with with a hero and with a you know a villain and a and and all the other elements of story when do children begin to understand that that deeper concept and and begin to be able to use that in creating their own stories? Oh, right away. I mean, even as children, uh, the young children, like I said, when they come home at the end of the day and they're telling you about the 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 fight they got into at school today or how the teacher had to discipline them i mean they're telling you a story and they're the good guy and the teacher is the bad guy and and they got paddled or wh- whatever so uh i think they they would have to be into their teenage years at least before they would be able to articulate to you that they are using the you know joseph campbell's uh hero's journey journey story structure or the you know freitag's pyramid or something like that so they can't intellectually describe to you what they're doing but they're doing it, and, and it's because story is the most natural form of communication known to man. I mean, we, we've been doing it since we've uh, been writing, scribbling pictures on cave walls, right? So, so that, that just comes naturally to kids, to, to humans in general, even, even at a very, very young age. Storytelling creeps its way into children's lives at a young age, right? You know, so most books, for example... Uh, that we read our children or that they read themselves or story centered is is that perhaps why stories are so powerful even as we journey on throughout the course of our lives are we taught the power of story literally from the get go yeah that that's what our parents are they're reading us bedtime stories they're not reading us bedtime texts right <laughs> right um, yeah. so yeah we're we're ingrained very early on but i don't think it's just the fact that our we're we're learning it from other people. There, there's something really inherently innate to human cognition that is um, centered around understanding stories, as opposed to you know we have to you have to go to school and take classes from people like your father to learn logic, but you you don't have to learn story. It, it really is somehow innate to human human thinking. Mm-hmm. Let's take a break, everybody. Back in just one second. Life Tips will be right back after this short break. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. 
When you started your business, you first listened to your professors. Now that your business is growing and gaining ground, you only seek out professionals. PPC Professionals, an industry leader for highly optimized search marketing campaigns with over 30 years of combined management experience. Our professional approach to every campaign helps you find every avenue of revenue so that you can not only stay ahead of your competitors, but get a return on your investment and increase your bottom line. PPC Professionals, personal, professional, PPC services. PPCProfessionals.com. Introducing Rumble, the smart mobile management system, the first end-to-end mobile platform where you can make real-time app modifications from a point-and-click dashboard. Want to change the design of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Want to change the ad map of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Want to change the content mix of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Power your mobile business with Rumble. Are you ready to rumble? Visit www.rumble.me. And now back to Life Tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, and wiser. Here are your hosts. We're back with Paul. Paul, thanks so much for being with us today. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Is there another story you might want to share with us? Yeah. Uh, so I've got I have a story, by the way. I have plenty of stories. Oh, you do? Well, would you like to share one? <laughs> I'd like to share a story, and I'd like for you to tell me how I could use that story and how you would take the story that I'm about to tell you and put it to work with a child. I think that would be kind of good. All right, let's do that. Okay, wow, this is kind of fun. So let's see. I got dropped off at college by my father, who drove me down from Orono, Maine, of all places, to Connecticut College. And we proceeded to unload the car and uh, begin carrying things up into the uh, into my new dorm room. Very exciting moment. I'm sure we can all reflect back on, on those days. And something interesting happened. As you went from our car to the sidewalk, you went down the sidewalk, and then you took a sharp left and went into the doorway, as, as you can imagine. And you could take a shortcut over the grass. And every time I was in, perhaps in my excitement, every time I, and just because it was the closest point for me to be, every time I went to load stuff into the car, I uh, would take the shortcut. And I remember turning back on every trip we took and I watched my dad walk down the sidewalk and not take, not take the shortcut. Mm-hmm. And it struck me. It stayed in my mind. Neither of us said anything about that moment. Um, but as I progressed through my collegiate years, I would always look back on that dormitory. I would think of that story. I would think of maybe what I learned or didn't learn in that story and how important ethics was certainly to my father, a professor of philosophy. So that's the story. Yeah. So it sounds like you've already thought about this quite a bit and what you would have learned and learned from it. Um, so, I mean, I can tell you what I, I think I might pull out of that story is, and the discussion I would have with a kid after, after hearing or sharing that story is, first of all, why do you think your dad did that? Uh, you, you know why you took the shortcut, uh, which is just because it was probably just a practical means to get where you were going faster. Mm-hmm. Why on earth do you think your dad wouldn't have done the same thing, even after he saw you do it? And because you might say, well, maybe he just didn't think of it because like most, you know, teenagers going off to college, we think we're much smarter than our parents. So maybe my dad just wasn't smart enough to figure out that there was a shortcut. (laughs) But after he saw me take it, well, then then he's got no excuse. 
he must be doing it on purpose. Why do you think that is? And then, and you could even ask him about it, or you can speculate yourself, and you would come up with things like, well, maybe he he didn't want to wear a path in the grass because um, that's going to not be uh, very attractive, or maybe he uh, wants to demonstrate to me how to be a better steward of other people's things or of public property. And so maybe it's a story about respecting, uh, you know, public property. Uh, you know, the same way you would tell a kid not to spray paint graffiti on the wall. Uh, but I could see uh, I could see a conversation going all kinds of directions about about that. Maybe it's just a uh, some kind of an OCD disorder that Dad has, and he's got to stay on the <laughs> path. And, and and that's fine as well. You'd learn something about your dad there, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. So so why do you think he did it? What, what lesson did you learn from it? Well, it, to me, it was it was funny because I was uh, talking. I got audited for the first time in my life, and I had an IRS person in my office uh, 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 just a few weeks ago, <clears throat> and she was telling a funny story about how she became an auditor. I was telling a funny story about Arthur Anderson, and when I went to first work there, I was actually a philosophy undergraduate major, as it turns out, um, and uh, uh, then went to work for Arthur Anderson. Anyway. We were. She was remarking on how great our books looked, and I said, "Well, I've I've worked with CPAs, and I got some I got some lessons early on about doing the right thing." And I told her the story about my dad, and she loved it. So I think when I look back on that story, it was absolutely shaped my life. But I was curious how you positioned that. I thought that was really cool, Paul. To you know, maybe would you ever say to your kids, for example? You know, why don't you ask your granddad why he did that? Like, would yeah. that, you know, because I think yeah, that's absolutely. really interesting. Yeah, if granddad is still around and the story is about granddad, then yeah. <clears throat> that would, and wouldn't that create a great opportunity for your kid to get to know granddad better and granddad to get to know your, your kid better? That's what I was thinking. And and can stories be a lead into that, particularly if, if maybe maybe you have a, a son or a daughter that, that doesn't get along with a grandparent, right? And you're trying to help with that. And would that be a good way to do that? Could you use stories to open that uh, communication up a little bit differently and, and change the way they perhaps think of granddad and, and, and offer some inspiration and some questions? Yeah, absolutely. And that was actually one of the, the, one of the big surprises in writing this book is it, it, it had not occurred to me that that would be one of the benefits. That was not why I was writing the book, to, to help create a better bond between parent and child and to um, help them learn to know their grandparents or aunts or uncles better. But it absolutely is doing that. And, and like I said, stories create an opportunity to have conversations, whereas doling out advice and platitudes ends conversations. Mm-hmm. And so this is, that is one of the unintended benefits of, of teaching through story. Do you think kids, in the end of the day, uh, are are able to move themselves away from their their texting and do you worry about texting with children and lack of stories in texting yeah you know i i i suffer the same uh guy in his late 40s attitude towards a lot of social media especially the shorter you know your twitters and 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 the shorter attention span ones um but i i i think kids are still sharing stories in some Ways it's just that it's it's taking 15 back and forth text messages for the story to come out instead of a single conversation they're having with somebody face to face. So mm-hmm. I, I think the desire and the need to tell stories is way too strong for any social media to squelch. Uh, kids will find a way to share their stories um, mm-hmm. regardless of the the method. In closing, do you think that? 
we could ever improve the likelihood of storytelling becoming a mainstream in, in the family environment. Let me explain. So, you know, we used to have, you know, uh, not story night in my family, but we would have a, you know, a Sunday, uh, afternoon, uh, you know, fried chicken at my grandmother's mm-hmm. house. And, you know, that became, you know, a conversation time where we would often tell stories. We would go around the room and yeah. talk about stories of the week or things going on. And uh, we'd always want to hear about stories about our grandparents and growing up in, in Texas with both my parents. And, you know, story time. Are we going to have story time? Are you an advocate of story time? throughout the journey of our life and in formal settings, particularly with, with parents and kids? Uh, yes, I am. And, and, and you're right. We have lost that. There was that time, you know, 50 years ago and, and beyond where, where stories happened around the, the dinner table very naturally. And, um, and with all the, you know, soccer schedules and all that kind of stuff today, kids are so distracted with things outside and inside the home. Uh, we, we don't have that natural story time anymore. And I think uh, that's a loss and, and we should get back to it. And I can tell you that when you start sharing stories with your kids, it will end up creating some of those because they will demand it. I mean, well, my youngest kid, um, Benjamin, he now asks me every night <clears throat> to tell him a new story. And not, he doesn't mean read me a, 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 a Disney book or something. He, he means, or a Mother Goose rhyme. He means tell him one of the stories like from my book about other kids. Um, so once you get in the habit, they will almost demand it from you. But, but the, the best time, I think, to do storytelling is not at a structured time like that. The best time to tell stories is opportunistically. It's when you see your kids struggling with XYZ, share a story about XYZ. You know, even if, that, if that's during dinner, that's great. If it's at bedtime, that's great. But if it's uh, in the middle of the day, if it's, if it's at night, if it's right after baseball practice, doesn't matter. It's whenever you find the opportunity for some parental guidance and advice to happen, Insert a story instead, and I think you'll find it goes better. Have you been blessed, particularly when you were younger and you're developing years of being in college, have you been blessed around being around great, great storytellers like I have? A gentleman named Nigel Bentley, for example, one of my great friends, he taught me the power of story. He really did. He had a story... We would do something crazy together, and he would tell a magnificent story about what we did together. It almost motivated me to want to do crazy things with him because telling stories and crazy stories was just fun. Were you yeah. around people like that were good, that were good storytellers? Yeah, I was, and for me, it was my grandfather on my father's side, um, mm. and that's probably where my earliest um, love of storytelling came from. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So you're, you're lucky to have had somebody like that in your life, and and I'd, I'd love for more kids to have that. And, and in fact, that's one of the things you get out of the book is, you know, you can become that grandparent or that parent or that teacher or that uncle or that aunt or whatever that is the one that has these great stories uh, to share wisdom with these kids. You know, there are many organizations like, you know, Big Brother and Big Sister, you know, there's the Boy Scouts of America, et cetera. Do you think we could ever start and you could ever help start a storytelling development, you know, with parents and kids and, and, uh, and, you know, foster kids think of, think of how powerful stories could be and how uh, you could connect those dots and, and create a community around that. Do you think that could ever happen? Wow. You know, I, I hadn't thought of that. I think that's a brilliant idea. I mean, there are definitely storytelling organizations already out there. You know, you think mm-hmm. of the, um, the, the moth or the national storytelling network and, and, and groups like that but they're not as often devoted to teaching character or wisdom or life lessons and certainly not dedicated to kids. So uh, 
yeah, I think that's that's very possible, and, uh, and maybe we can go do that together. Mentoring by story, MBS. Yeah. There you go, mentor. I like it. I like it. You know, I think that's the name. Uh, let's continue to talk about that. I think there is something really powerful there. Mm-hmm. What I like about it is. You could really prep for that. You could think of stories every week if you were meeting with kids that would, you know, wanted to. I was thinking of your son, for example, that wants you to tell him more stories. I mean, you can see the thirst uh, and this power for stories and how it's influencing behavior um, more than likely. I mean, it seems to me that your your book and your research is drawing conclusions that it that it's influencing behavior. Is that is that accurate? Oh, absolutely. And if if it wasn't, then it would really be pointless. These are not just stories to entertain people. These are stories to develop, uh, to, to make the world a better place through the, the, the people that we leave behind. Well, what's most interesting is the work you've done on the flip side of this, which is you know, finding that most and all leaders are storytellers and are leading yeah. with stories with, with what they're doing. So may, maybe that's a, a very important discovery you have here, and maybe we should do something with it. Yep, absolutely. Paul Smith, once again, a pleasure chatting with you. Thanks for the second appearance on the show within months. <laughs> so, well, thank you very much for having me. It was my pleasure. Right on. Hope everybody listened, uh, enjoyed listening in today, and their life's a little smarter, better, faster, and wiser, and more rich with the power of stories. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. We'll see you next week. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.